Liz Corey. And I'm Katie Kane. And this is True, True Crime New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us on this chilly Thursday morning. If that's when you're listening, I hope so, because we are sure that, like most of our listeners, you too are loyal and listening right as it comes out. Just kidding. Listen as you please, but regardless, we're happy to have you here per usual. Yeah, especially as it's getting colder. You know, if you guys have been around for a while, Mm. you will know that right around this time, we start to let you guys know that we do our annual holiday hiatus. Yes, indeed. It is coming right up. And no, this is not our last episode before we go on our hiatus. We like to give you guys a little heads up before we even give you the final episode. So just so you know, it's coming your way. Next week will be the last one that we put out for 2023, Mm -hmm. and then we will see you again on the first Thursday of 2024, and we have a really good case to come back with for you guys. We're ending with a really big case. Actually, two. This is a big case. Next week's actual final case of 2023 is a big one, and then our first case of 2024 is also pretty big. So you guys are going to want to stick around and hear it because we are not messing around. Yeah, and we are not messing around with shout-outs either. We have a couple in store for you guys today. We're kind of getting caught up. Yeah, we got a few, and I'm excited. As you know, we pre-record the episode, so the shout-outs come kind of later than they might seem for you guys. But there's one that I feel like we've been slacking on, Mm -hmm. and this person I think is climbing the ranks for one of our biggest fans. And it feels wrong that we haven't given them a shout-out. And you guys know we are so... Like, we really like to promote shouting out because it's fun and everyone likes to hear their name said on a podcast. And, you know, it's really a cool thing to do. And, like, even if it's a small podcast, it's really fun. And, oh, you know, there's a whole bunch of incentives for it. Like, oh, you give us a coffee, we'll shout you out or whatever. So much fun. Great. Well, today we have a few of those. Buy us a coffee, some case suggestions. That'll always buy you a shout out. But our biggest fan... Oh, our biggest fan. Did you guys know that you can revise Apple Podcast reviews? I actually didn't until kind of recently once we started doing this podcast and over time because our biggest fan has been leaving us some really detailed (laughs) reviews over the past year, give or take, that have just been evolving and... Maybe devolving is the word I would use. Man, we are just so thankful. I told Liz the other day, you guys, I said, Liz, we've been working on this podcast for a while. You know, I really feel like it's just rewarding. Mm. And you know what? I feel like we've officially made it. We have. Because we have our very own hater. We have a hater, everybody. Someone who actively listens to the podcast, supports us, and revises their review to reflect things that we've recently talked about in the podcast. And you know, their first review, not gonna lie, it was three stars. Womp womp. And that was okay. Had some okay advice. You know, be mindful what you say on the internet. Fair. Okay, boomer. Sounds about right. <laughs> Whatever. It happens. We get those. And then, like, a few months later, we got a revision. And now it's getting to the point where they're revising semi-frequently. So it really went from 
like the first review to like a few months later, we got a new, like, I'm talking like six plus months, we got a revision. And then now we're getting them like more like every few episodes. It's great. The consistency is daunting. And, you know, we appreciate the support because these reviews are just, they're helpful. They are. They are. They're really um, insightful. They show us a lot about who we attract and who we can um, really speak to as listeners, (laughs) as an audience. Pop 54 colon 88 exclamation point. We want to give you a shout out that you have been working so hard to get on this podcast. We see you. We've seen you the whole time. The most recent review, and I really want to capture this because I wonder if there may be a change to this by the time this episode comes out. True. And guys, what, we, what we're doing here is we, we want to really preface this. When you put yourself out onto the internet, there's going to be people who love you and there's going to be people who hate you. That's just a fact. And that's okay. Sometimes you just got to attack the negativity with laughter because if you're not laughing, you're crying. Mm-hmm. Katie, would you mind reading our new best friend's latest, uh, let's say, not memoir, <laughs> but like little bibliography on how they feel about our performance as of late? <laughs> I'm going to do my very best to read this. Without laughing. Okay. The audio sucking is just the start of it. Mm. It won't seem so bad once you realize the first one-fourth of the episodes is egocentric talk about themselves. It will get better when you hear them talking about how they were gagging when Harmony Montgomery details were released. Or how they put their friends to shame with the anti-gun arguments. Or how they are, and this part is in quotation marks, healthcare workers. Mm. We'll talk more about that. I want to revisit that so they are experts Mm. love 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 their intelligent banter like that is like not okay you'll also love how they make tragic things about themselves and profit off it all with this podcast we'll revisit that one too sure also this part's in all caps really love Mm. your invitation to discuss hot topic stuff where you say you'll never change your mind then say that you only welcome conversation if you're open-minded approximately four laugh and cry face emojis Mm. followed by the worst truly so great feedback did we specify that was one star oh i think that was probably pretty obvious right (laughs) um i just first and foremost harmony montgomery herself is not disgusting it's not gagging at harmony montgomery Gagging at the actions that were taken against her um, and that somebody so cruel could do something so awful to such a beautiful little child. Um, somebody could do something so tragic, so awful. Obviously, as everyone knows who's not this person, we would never be gagging or using that term of phrase to describe a child who was brutally killed in regards to the victim. I think that goes without saying. Do you want to address the quotation marks for healthcare workers? Should we talk about like how quotation marks are supposed to be used grammatically? Or do you think we should probably tell them to go back to like college or high school for that one? Because we are healthcare workers. 
nurses to be specific. And just a fun tip, pop 54 colon 88 exclamation point. When you are listening to this, not if when, because we know that you're going to listen. So you can find more shit to put in your review, which you should. And we invite that. It's attention to us, you know. Love it. We love attention. Nursing license numbers are public record. Yes. You can find us. You can find our license numbers. You can probably find our past work history. It's all public record. Katie, you're a nurse in New Hampshire. I am a nurse. Me, Liz, I'm a nurse in Maine, the state of Maine. So you can look us right up. Katie King, Elizabeth Corey. So you can just take a look. Um, Our licenses, mine is renewed. And up to date, Katie? Oh, absolutely. Great. So, yeah, if you need to look up our work history, um, you can message us privately. I don't think we really need to do that here. Um, but I'm more than willing to uh, send you some references if you need it. Uh, that one really irked me because there is really no need to put quotation marks around that. We are healthcare workers. Do you think we're making it up? Perhaps. I don't know. And then the whole profit thing. Why listen to a podcast with ads? Why generate us revenue? Which, I mean, we're not, we say this all the time, whatever little money we make with this podcast goes directly back to the podcast. Absolutely. Whether it's for, like, our merch, which is really expensive. We're losing money on merch, to be honest, but we don't mind because it's fun and we love it. We pay to have the merch made. I think the most we've made from an order of merch is, like, $9. And as most of you know who've even looked at the merch, none of the products, like, no matter how much you buy, like with taxes, which we cannot, you know, we don't control that with um, shipping. We don't also control that, you know, those things like factored all together, like most of those things cost more than $9. Like, you know, like we can't control that. So we don't make money. In fact, there's been more instances where we've lost like $1.50 or whatever with our True Crime New England bank account. And listen, again, just for full transparency, we are very honest people. Uh, if you want to reach out to us privately, I can send you our bank statements. Um, they are <laughs> under my account and I can show you our transaction history and how they are all um, related to our audio editing services. Um, we have a few for, like you said, the merch, Katie. Um, sometimes we use them for like our Instagram ads. It's none of it has gone to us. Oh, and if anything, a lot of it's going to donations. Yes. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Listen, oh, what am I? I don't know. I'm just a, I'm just a healthcare worker. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about finances. And also the whole put their friends to shame with the anti-gun arguments. My friends don't like guns either. None of my friends have guns. You're not a friend of the pod. If you like. Come on, guys. Yeah, I don't. Come on, guys. And, if, and here's the thing about inviting polite, open conversation. You can invite polite, open conversation without having the intention of changing your mind about your opinions. You can have a conversation, listen to the other person's uh, views, consider what they're saying, have them consider what you're saying, think about it. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. I see what you're saying, etc., etc. I cannot change my views because of the X, Y, and Z, whatever. Let's move on. I have a feeling that the things they're citing is because they've never had a productive, polite conversation, which I think is what is kind of happening right now. Like we are having a polite conversation with pop 55 colons or whatever, and they're not having one back with us, which is really awkward. I am going to live for the day that they edit their review to address the things that we're trying to address with them. Listen. 
keep listening, baby. We love you. Keep listening, keep supporting us, or get lost. Don't let the door hit you. Yep. So we'll see you. We won't see you. Message us, don't message us. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, a great Christmas. Spend a lot of time with your family. Be safe out there. COVID's ramping up again. You know, we're healthcare workers, so we want you to remain safe. Practice safe um, hand washing. Don't kiss any babies, RSV. You know, I can give that advice because I'm a healthcare worker. (laughs) And anyways. And anyways, it's our fucking podcast. We can say whatever we want on here. And the beauty of that is people are going to listen. People are not going to listen. People are going to leave five-star reviews. People are going to leave one-star reviews. And that's okay. At the end of the day, we're still here. We're still here. So, friend, pop, 55, colon, 80-something, exclamation point, question mark, XD, XD. Thank you for your constant um, belittlement and praise and backhanded compliments and passive aggression. We see you. We appreciate the feedback. And uh, I we hope you are well. That was sarcasm. Now for the real shout-outs. Yeah, we got some real nice people in our corner, which makes, I think is the reason why that we can so comfortably say that, you know, we have this person who's really, you know, makes us sit here and think, wow, that really is unfortunate that someone feels this way. But it's really nice that we have a lot of people who can make us feel the opposite, which is nice. Yes. Even though hearing about how the last person we just discussed Love, love, loves us. Yes, truly. We have people that do love, love, love us. And we love, love, love you right back. Yes. Thank you to Robinson B for buying us a coffee all the way from Texas. Thank you. Thank you, George S., one of our actual biggest fans. Yes. For buying us each a coffee times two. Thank you. Thank you, Roger, for buying us five coffees. Thank you, Roger. That's very kind of you. And speaking of buy us a coffee, this case was suggested to us by Haley M. via email and buy us a coffee as a not bribe, wink, (laughs) and Megan M. via our Instagram DMs as well. This case is fascinating. I can't believe I hadn't heard of it because it, I mean, doing research, I learned it has been blowing up in the media the past year. Yeah. It's fascinating. So thank you for the suggestions. I mean... The bribe wink really helped. So awesome suggestions. And thank you for everyone who gave us a coffee. That was very kind. And that money, that money is ours. Buy us a coffee money is ours all the way. But that's what we intend it for. Yes. Yes. If that's really a problem, pop 8692464, you can email us separately and we can, again, go over our bank statements with a proper... um, personal accountant. I don't know. You listen to our outros. You know where to find us. TrueCremonyGmail.com TrueCremony. I don't, I feel like you don't use Instagram. Probably. You can use our website. You know how to use Apple Podcasts, so I'm sure you could figure out a website. With all that said, all jokes aside, today's case, if you haven't heard of it, I'd be Mildly surprised, because it is a big deal. You might have heard of it by a different title, perhaps. Because it is a pretty popular case in the sense that it's happened recently. And the trial happened extremely recently. So it's been in the news. And it's just very tragic. And once again, involves a man who thought he could solve his problems by getting rid of his current wife, 
to try and get with another lady. And we see that all too often in true crime, period. So that's just what's happening here. But in New England, infidelity has no region, everybody. New merch. I was just going to say, new merch idea. We'll start off the new year. New year, new merch. Right. I love it. And without further ado, today we will be covering the murder of Connie DeBate. Okay, Katie, as we're getting into it, I would really appreciate it if I could hear what you have for sources for me today. Of course. For me, for Pop 55, 82, 99, and for all of our lovely, loyal, wonderful listeners. I have information from NBC Connecticut, People.com, The Sun, New York Post, all of the above, which Haley sent us via our email, uh-huh. major brownie points. Yeah, that's great. As well as the Hartford Current and CT Insider. Great. I too had CT Insider. I used Connie's obituary from Legacy.com. I had two articles from the Cinemaholic, an article from the New York Times. I had two articles from WTNH and an article from Mirror from the UK. Cool. Yeah, I had a lot of good stuff. It was, an, again, one of those cases where you just kept finding things. Because more details popped up and you were like, oh, oh my, oh, okay. There's a lot of stuff. And again, this case is very, there's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. So, let's get started. Katie? Sure. Connie Margotta debate was described as an energetic, upbeat, and giving person. She was former vice president of the Ellington Ambulance Corp, and she worked full-time as a pharmaceutical rep. Nice. Somehow in between working full-time and raising her two children, who she adored, she was known for doing fundraisers and cooking meals that she delivered to her neighbors when they were sick. Very kind. One of her kiddos was born with a birth defect and had some additional medical needs, and Connie drove him to all of his doctor's appointments. She nursed her father back to health after a stem cell transplant. That can be tough. That can be really tough. And she's not even a healthcare worker. Huh. Amazing what the person can do. Truly an incredible lady. Yeah, she was really by all accounts. She was 39 at the time of this incident, and she had a husband, 41-year-old Richard DeBate, who worked as a computer network administrator and was known for his offbeat humor. Mm. (laughs) That's a red flag to me, too. Oof. I don't know if I would want to be described as that way. No. But that's how he was described, so... They had been married for 12 years at this point, and they had two sons who are now nine years old and six years old, Richard, RJ, and Connor. The couple was very different. That's kind of what kept popping up is they were very different. They really weren't that alike, but they seemed like a happy and normal family by all accounts. Sure. They both loved their kids, loved being, you know, they were well off, charming seemed like they just were making it work and they seems like it was all going well. They'd been married for 12 years, you know? Yeah. And Ellington, Connecticut is a beautiful area too. They had a really nice house, yeah. you know, equipped with an alarm system, all that other good stuff. Yeah. Just like you would expect. It's like, I feel like it's a not, if not a rich neighborhood, like a richer town, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. Which is great. Nice. Good for them to be able to afford that. That's wonderful. Awesome. So, on December 23rd, 2015, the Ellington, Connecticut Police Department, where Connie and Richard lived, they were called 
and also alerted to an alarm triggered at a house on Birchview Drive. So Firefighter was the first on the scene. He was by himself. He had no idea what he was about to get himself into. And God bless him, because the scene at hand was going to be tough. According to a warrant that was later filed, the firefighter entered the home. There was, you know, some smoke kind of hazing around the home. And he could make out like a trail of blood on the floor, which was, you know, already kind of like, oh, shit. And it led from the kitchen to what appeared to be like a basement door. Also, immediately, he noticed it was very hard to miss. It appeared to be a man who was moaning. And he was tangled up, is how he described it, in like a folding chair. He had like one arm and one leg zip tied to this folding chair. And the man, who ended up being 41-year-old Richard DeBate, he was moaning. He seemed to be in pain. He had a little bit of blood. He was, you know, clearly like vulnerable. Like this was, this did not look great. Like he was tied to a chair and it was smoky. And he goes, they're still in the house. And so now the firefighter's like, oh shit. So he goes back outside and he calls the dispatcher and he says, okay, we might actually have like a really dangerous situation. There might be intruders in the home, you know, send back up. Make sure everyone's prepared for what could possibly be a very dangerous situation. Like, we might have somebody who's armed and dangerous in the home. So, they also were kind of alerted because not only was this alarm triggered, but Richard, unbeknownst to the firefighter at this point, had also made, had also been able to use his cell phone and call. And it sounded like there was a potential homicide as well. So, now all this police presence was prominent and it was getting scary and real. So when the police arrived, yes, they found 41-year-old Richard DeBate tangled up in this folding chair. He was face down, just moaning on the kitchen floor. His right wrist had been tied to the folding chair. He had zip ties around his ankles and there was actually one that was around his neck and it was tightened pretty intensely but obviously he could still breathe and he could still talk which is good like glad he's alive great he's fine and despite you know all this he's injured he said that there was an intruder in the home and then he proceeded to tell them that he wasn't the only one that had been home he said his wife had been home too where is my wife connie and so now the police are like oh shit this is not good your wife was home what happened So then a trooper, two sergeants, they head downstairs and they're like, okay, we're going to find this intruder downstairs. He's going to point a gun at us. He's going to shoot whatever. It's bad. Instead, what they found was confusing and also tragic. First, they found a burnt pile of paper. And I'm talking like a small pile of paper. We're saying like a small pile of like receipts and like bills and stuff. Like it's a half-hearted attempt at like maybe starting a fire with a butane torch laying nearby, a hammer, and a box cutter. Okay. And then they're moving through the basement, you know, guns up, like, scared. You know, there's an intruder possibly in the house. When they get to, like, a mechanical room, and they find a 357 Magnum Ruger lying on the ground next to the body of Connie DeBate. She unfortunately had been shot several times in her abdomen and her head. And, you know... She was, it had not been very long, but she was definitely dead. And that's 
terrible, terrible, terrible to find that in that awful situation. Cause she was, and you look at her picture, beautiful young woman. People described her as being like sunshine. Like she, and with all the things you described, Katie, she was so helpful. She was such a helpful, kind person. Very giving. She's beautiful. Wonderful. Loved her kids. Loved her family. Great. So at this point, they were like, okay, the intruder left, clearly. He got through the basement, the bulkhead door. He's gone. Everything's secure. We know that Connie's dead. The kids were at school, so they're safe. Richard is tied to the folding chair on the floor. We're going to get him fixed up. He had some cuts. Unclear how bad they were at this point, but he had some blood. He had the zip tie around his neck. That's scary. Let's figure that out. Let's get him into the ambulance, whatever. They also decided to use like a canine because they, they were tracking an intruder. So, you know, the, they get this canine, Rocky. They get him right out there. He runs to the yard. He finds a wallet. It's Richard's wallet. Okay, the intruder probably was trying to rob them. Drop the wallet as he's running out the backyard. Well, here's the problem. Very small problem. Rocky gets the wallet, smells it, and then turns right back around and heads to Richard. Instead of following a scent back out of the house, like as if the intruder kept running. That's weird. Okay. So they take the dog and they're like, okay, try this, buddy. Hey, knock, knock. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, come on, let's try this again. They bring him further down the property. They say, okay, get the scent of the intruder again. Same thing. Rocky goes right back to Ricky. Right back. And now they're getting Richard into the ambulance. You know, he's injured. And then Rocky hops right in the ambulance with him. And they're like, what is happening? This dog is very well trained. He knows what he's doing. And yet he's hopping on Richard like he's got treats in his pocket. That's okay. They're writing it down. They're like, this is suspicious. That is very weird. Because Rocky was so fixated on Richard, his handler was like, let's go. Let's start like 75 yards away from the house. Let's go back. You know, whatever. Trying to find a trail beyond the house. Rocky couldn't pick up one. Could this mean something? Could it? Sure. It also couldn't. You know, like it's, you know, not a definitive science. Whatever. Either way, Richard is then taken to the hospital And suddenly there is a lot of confusion because there's a dead woman, an injured man, and the possibility of an intruder, but some really weird evidence already laid out. And it only gets weirder. So from his hospital bed, it really is determined that the only injuries that Richard has are some superficial knife wounds. Okay, good. You know, nothing too serious. They can get right in to start questioning him because things are looking a little weird. Right. One of the first things they ask Richard is they're like, you know, we're so thankful that you were able to hit the panic button and call 911. You know, when law enforcement came into the home, we noticed that you were tied up to a folding chair. So we are just curious as to how you activated said panic button that's up pretty high on the wall. Right. And got to your phone, called 911. When you were zip tied to a chair. Yes. Good questions. Richard explained to them, even though he was tied up, he was able to crawl Mm -hmm. to the kitchen, Mm -hmm. push the panic button, and then hurl himself at the stove 
to reach his phone and then call 911. What a brave man. Tied to a folding chair, that zip tied. That's hard. Then, you know, the line of questioning continues and it eventually goes towards the fact that the woman in the basement who is now dead was Richard's wife. Richard was asked if there were any issues in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And he took a deep breath and then stated, yes and no. (sighs) Okay. He then elaborated. He said, well, you know, we have two children. They're beautiful boys. We love them so much. Connie couldn't have another child because of medical reasons. Right. So I did some non-traditional things. He cheated on her. He insisted to police that Connie, him, and this other woman were all in cahoots. They were all in agreement to raise this baby as a throuple. Yeah. He then stated, the situation popped up like a frickin' soap opera. So basically, he cheated on his wife, got this woman pregnant, and was telling the police as to maybe why there was an intruder. Why there, who had motive? What was happening? Well, it could be because I got this woman pregnant. And listen, Connie was fine with it. She loves babies. She loves people. And she wanted to raise this baby as her own. We couldn't have another one. So she said, you know what? It was hard at first. We worked through it. And we were going to raise this baby with this woman I was cheating on her with and it was going to be a beautiful triangle and the police were like hmm go on interesting so this is a lot to take in right like sure it is out of a freaking soap opera that's a little unbelievable right what's also unbelievable is richard's accounts of that morning right he's walking the police through everything sitting there all cozy in his hospital bed And he let them know, you know, earlier that morning, I dropped off my sons at the bus stop at around 8.30. Connie was home getting ready to go to the gym. She had a class at the YMCA. Right. Love it. Richard, en route to work. You know, it's early in the morning. He works with computers. Lo and behold, he said he forgot his laptop at home. A.K.A. his computer. Interesting. He quickly backtracked, then realized, oh my gosh, now I'm going to be late for work. I'm a good employee. I got to let my boss know. Sure. Said he pulled over on the side of the road like a responsible texter. Uh, Sure. Messaged his boss, emailed actually, officially, you know. You got to be professional. Emailed his boss, I'm going to be late. And as he's writing out this email, ding, 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 an alarm from his security system is going off at the house and he gets an alert. Uh-oh. So he was like, wow, it sure is convenient. I was already headed home. Good thing I'm close to home and can check this out myself. Thank God. He gets home, starts to look around as the head of a white family does. You know, you got to check out the commotion. Sure. Connie's at the Y. Kids are at school. She no, she should be home. So that's scary. He heard a noise upstairs, naturally went to check it out, you know. This is where Richard says that he came across an intruder. 
who was wearing all camouflage Naturally. and a mask to conceal his face. He couldn't even tell hair color, eye color, skin color. Right. No details. The, really, the only thing he was able to specify was that the man was about 6'2". Okay. And had a deep voice like Vin Diesel. This is what I thought. The more specific you get when you're telling a story like this, you're lying. Do not get more specific. Because you are just lying, lying, lying. Like, was he wearing sunglasses too? No. How come you can't tell me his eye color? Right. You can tell me he sounds exactly like Vin Diesel. Like, it's just, you could tell from, not even just from this, but like, combined with all the rest of the story and what they're gathering so far... You're lying. Straight up. This intruder then held Richard at knife point, demanding his wallet and the pin to his debit cards. You know, a struggle ensued. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you my money. Give me your money. Right. (laughs) I don't know really what... I can't really do a Vin Diesel voice, but... That was good. That's how I imagine. Sure. And then Richard hears a commotion from downstairs, and with a sinking feeling realizes that his beautiful wife is home from the gym. God damn it. He tried to warn her, called out to her, Connie, Connie, be careful, Connie. But the intruder made a beeline for her. Yeah. And then Richard made a beeline for the intruder to help his beautiful wife. Of course. He's got to protect her. Connie, realizing that there was a masked camouflaged man who sounds exactly like Vin Diesel, made a break for it to the basement. Right. Where the guns are kept. To try and help her beloved husband, Richard, defend the home. Right. Those are Richard's guns, not hers, so you know. And actually, it's funny that you should say that, Liz, because they very quickly determined that the gun, you know, the magnum found in the basement Mm. where Connie's body was found was also Richard's gun. Right. Hmm. 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 Okay. So she had unlocked the cabinet by the time he got down there is what they're saying. And this is also interesting to me because Richard told police that his wife was shot at you know, roughly 9.05 a.m. Okay. Sure. Write that down. Noted. Great. Okay. Firefighters come in. Investigation unfolds. Right. And then police are kind of going over it a couple times. You know, okay, let's get this one thing straight, Richard. He held you at knife point. Yeah, you know, he had a box cover and it was just really, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, right. And then you ran down the stairs. Mm-hmm. No, the intruder pushed me. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going over it again. And then Richard says, you know, it was so crazy. I can't believe I forgot my work shirt at home. I had to go back and get it. Mm. Okay, yeah. Mm. Noted. All right. Mm-hmm. Huh. And you dropped your kids off at the bus stop? Yeah, I dropped it off at school. And then I went back to, okay, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Huh. And then, you know, I was I was trying to get to my wife that I tripped down the stairs. Right. I thought you were pushed. Huh. So things just are not adding up. No. Not at all. So I bet you guys are probably wondering, at what point did the intruder run away? So he shot Connie, and then he tied Richard to the chair with the zip ties or whatever. So this intruder, where does he end up running out? Well, according to Richard, when he's talking to the police, he's like, I am a hero, essentially, because he said he was, you know, he was watching the intruder. The intruder was gathering small items around to try and burn the house down, I think was what the plan was. He, you know, he had one person dead. He had the other guy tied up, so he was going to die too. And then what happened was Richard saw, quote, a small opening in which he saw that 
the intruder was nearby, like really close to him. He had the butane torch like near his head. Him being the intruder had it near the intruder's head, right? He was like doing something. And so Richard leaned forward and pushed the blowtorch towards the intruder's forehead. And this, ah, it scared the intruder. He dropped the torch and ran out the bulkhead door. So this man, Vin Diesel type, real big bulky guy, who had just shot a woman willy-nilly, got spooked by a butane torch, and then frolicked out the back door. You know, and then this is, of course, where he uh, was able to crawl up the stairs, trigger the alarm, and, you know, whatever. So then, of course, this is a six-hour interview in the hospital bed. And then the police are like, man, I'm so sorry for your lot. This is terrible. Like, this is really bad. Heal. Spend the night here. Like, get checked out by, you know, take your Tylenol, whatever. We're going to go to the station, write up a report. We're going to get this figured out for you, bud. And then they close the door and they look at each other and they go, this fucking guy. This fucking guy. Because, I mean, you and I sitting here, Katie, you and I, listener, all of us, this guy fucking did there's no intruder vin diesel my ass is he trying to say that he's vin diesel (laughs) is that what he's saying and if you look at him he's got ears bigger than dumbo his haircut is atrocious he's not even handsome i just don't it just doesn't listen and he has the crazy eyes he has the looks about him yes thirsty Phenomenal use of wording. Thank you. Phenomenal. Yes. He just wants... Like, he has a narcissistic glint. Yes. He really does. Yes. It's sad. And terrifying. And this is when they start to gather evidence and things unfold. Like, they learn more about this woman he was seeing. They obtain data. From his cell phone, her cell phone, his home computer, the YMCA surveillance footage. And then they found the most damning piece of evidence. Something small attached to Connie's wrist. Her Fitbit. If you guys have not heard of the murder of Connie debate, you might have heard it titled as the Fitbit murder. Yes. Because that little tiny piece of equipment designed to track her progress at the Y, you know, how many steps she took throughout the day, playing with her kids, was a crucial, if not the most crucial, piece of evidence to solving her murder. Absolutely. So, you know, Richard works with computers. There's a lot of tech, clearly. Mm. And police discovered that Richard logged into a computer at the house at 9.01 a.m. Okay. Sending an email at 9.04 a.m. to his work supervisor to let him know that an alarm had gone off in the home and he had to go back to check on it. Oh. So he wasn't messaging him responsibly on the side of the road. Right. Hmm. He was already home. No mention of forgetting a computer or a shirt, whatever it may be. Interesting. Surveillance footage, GPS, and Connie's cell phone all showed her arriving home from the YMCA at 9.18 a.m. Okay. 
Connie's Fitbit then showed movement inside the house at 9.23 a.m. She was on her Facebook account between 9.40 and 9.46 a.m., even posting videos to her page from her phone. Interesting. The last recorded distance that her Fitbit tracked was 1,217 feet between 9.18 a.m. and 10.05 a.m. For Richard's story to make any kind of sense, the 1,217 feet would have had to have been factored into Connie's walk from the car inside the house Mm. and then into the basement when she came home from the gym and then was alerted by Richard that there was an intruder in the home. Mm. Detectives discovered that the total distance from the car, the walk inside, to the basement, maybe even factoring going to check the mailbox or Mm. walking around the long way inside, maybe pacing around the kitchen a little bit, only 125 feet. Mm. The last movement on her Fitbit was at 10.05 a.m., a whole-ass hour after Richard told police she was shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Now, to play devil's advocate, could he have gotten the time wrong? Maybe. Unlikely, though, because he had all these things. Like, he knew what time it was because he had come home to, you know, because he forgot his things or whatever. And, you know, he probably was like, oh shit, it's already 9.10 and I forgot my, huh, my whatever. So usually when it's like that, you know, like, oh, I have to text my boss. I'll be in at 9.45 or whatever. So even there, like, it's hard to make that argument because he probably would have known the time or at least clocked it in his head subconsciously, even if he was really telling the truth. Clearly, that's not what's happening here. Absolutely. So finally, with all this evidence, in April of 2017, so over a year and a half later, Richard DeBate was arrested and charged with murder, tampering with evidence, and making a false statement to police. Now, unfortunately, this stupid-ass motherfucker posted the $1 million bail, which I don't know how it was even an option. Maybe because the evidence was circumstantial. I have no idea. But he actually ended up living freely. I mean, not freely, freely. I think when you're on bail, you can't like leave the town or the county, maybe. Definitely not the state. But he was allowed to live freely. And it ended up being five years before his trial started. Five years years this man was living freely and he still had his children even though he was out on bail for the murder of their mother he was out on he still was able to take care of his kids yep oh and remember that illegitimate child that he and connie were gonna raise taking care of that one too interesting hmm Huh. I bet you guys are wondering, why did it take so long? Because that's, five years is a long time. It does take some time to have a trial, but five years. Well, guess what? Jury selection was nearly complete. Almost done. They had almost everyone they needed. It was a very popular, heavy media case, so it was kind of hard to do jury selection. And they just were about to finish up in March of 2020. We all know what happened in March of 2020. Everything died. The whole world ended. 
So then, of course, this trial took a back burner because the whole world just stopped. In June of 2021, things were starting to kind of look like, oh, okay, things are opening up. Maybe we will get to trial. Like, let's roll this out there. And then one of the partners at the law firm that was representing Richard died. And so that caused more delays. Then, in August of 2021, so just a Two months later, the judge dismissed the jury, stating that too much time had passed because they had been working to get this jury for four years. So now too much time had passed. So they were like, you know what? Bye. Let's start this process over again because it's been too long. And uh, there was a whole bunch of things like some jurors had moved. One of them didn't even live in Connecticut anymore, which I'm wondering how that was even allowed, knowing that they were on a jury for this big case. Right. I would have felt like they would have been like, no, you're not allowed to move. Or like they would have done accommodations or something, right? Right. I don't know. Jury reselection began in March of 2022. So two years after originally it was about to start. And finally, in late April of 2022, the five-week trial took place. Finally. Five years this fucker was out having relationships, raising his babies, when he clearly was a guilty, guilty man. Oh, and the things that came up in court. Oh, my God. Well, just like Richard said, something out of a freaking soap opera. Mm-hmm. Richard's new defense attorney had told the jury that Fitbit devices are not 100% accurate. Mm-hmm. And that it would be difficult for Richard to stage a crime scene. Would it? Difficult, yes. Impossible, clearly not. Right. The defense also said that the DNA of an unidentified man was found in six separate places, which included the family safe, the handle of the gun used to kill Connie, and the handle on the upstairs closet door. Okay. This is compelling at first. Sure. That kind of made me take pause. I was like, oh, no shit, really? Yeah. A supervisor... At a forensics lab, testified. Sure. And he shut this right down. Absolutely. He informed the court that DNA lasts for years. And finding a mix of different people's DNA on high-touch surfaces or items previously owned, like the gun, mayhaps, Maybe, yeah. Is not all that uncommon. Actually, it's very common. Sure. Prosecution then said, you know what? No. We don't only have the Fitbit. You know, Fitbits, it, it's technology, it's man-made, everything is has its flaws. Sure. Sure. What's interesting is that the Fitbit, the GPS, the surveillance footage, Connie's phone, Richard's phone, Connie's computer, Richard's computer, they all paint the same picture. Right. They're all backing up the Fitbit. Right. They quickly demolished Richard's account of the timeline of events, and they set up a motive for the jury. Mm. The other woman. The other woman. According to the arrest warrant, Richard DeBate had sent a text message to his mistress on the night before Connie's death. Katie, do you want me to read it? Please. I can't do it with a straight face. Oh, Katie. Katie, it's so... I... I feel like 16-year-old me would poop her pants if I had someone text me because this is this is exactly what a young woman wants to hear. If they're drunk and also um, 
very severely unaware of what love is. But Richard, the night before, like you just said, had sent a text message to this other woman, Sarah. He said, I'll see you tomorrow, my little love nugget. Let's just let's just say that I just cut out me and Katie gagging simultaneously because that is the most disgust little love nugget. If my boyfriend called me a love nugget, forget it. I'm going to restrain order. That is that is not cute. That is not romantic. That is psychotic. That is creepy in a way. And again, maybe if I was 16, I would be charmed by that. But at 41, Calling somebody a little love nugget? Sorry. Not okay. Very creepy. No. I'd become a fugitive. Yeah, I don't like that. I'd put to hiding. I don't like that. And all of this is transpiring. You know, prosecution, addressing the jury, the jury gasping. Oh my gosh, wow, that's so crazy. That's really compelling information. Mm. Oh, but the DNA found on the high-touch surfaces. Wow, that is really interesting. Richard, the whole time, everybody's going back and forth. He is conducting himself like the piece of shit he is in court. Mm -hmm. He calmly testified in his own defense, not only maintaining his innocence. Oh, boy. He had the nerve to tell the judge that he will never stop fighting for justice for his wife. Quote, who I think about every single day. Of course you do, because you murdered her. He told the judge that he was innocent and had waited years to tell his side of the story and that he was, quote, a victim of those who seek victory over truth. Remember like three seconds ago when he called somebody a little love nugget? No, this guy is not smart enough. And listen, you made it, you, you know, you said something about how, you know, how could he have staged a crime scene, blah, blah, blah. He did stage a crime scene. Wasn't a good one. Nobody's denying that he staged a crime scene. It's just that it wasn't good. Hence why he's in court for the murder of his wife. Absolutely. Connie's family was also in court. Of course. They said that over the years that this asshole was roaming around free on bail. Yes. That he blew through the estate and spent all but... A whopping $6.24 of the boys' money, the sons, the two boys mm. who Connie adored. Of course. Brought into this world, was yeah. a loving, devoted mother, working yeah. full-time, bringing the child with disabilities to his copious doctor's appointments. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. The estate was mainly earned by Connie. Yeah. She's a hard-working lady. And now her sons have $6.24. Three dollars and twelve cents each. I wouldn't be surprised if he posted bail because I think to post bail you have to put at least ten percent um, up front. I would not be, which is what a hundred thousand dollars. I wouldn't be surprised if he used part of their property or part of their, you know, savings, whatever, to post bail because he's that scummy. Mm-hmm. And while they were talking about him. Richard was very animated, expressive, especially in reaction to statements made by Connie's family. He was standing there shaking his head no, mouthing words like, no, I did not, overly animated. He was raising his eyebrows. 
he was letting his jaw drop at the things he acting like this is all preposterous. I he's overdoing it. Like I don't and Connie's family even said not only did he spend all of the money that was supposed to go to Connie's sons right. after taking away their mother. Right. He was sending us harassing text messages. Just terrible. Because he could do that because he wasn't in jail. Because he right. blew all of our money right. to get himself out. Right. Awful. And again, he's raising this baby. So eight weeks after Connie was killed... This woman that he had been having a relationship with on the side, Sarah, she had their baby, a little girl. And Sarah, she testified in court. She did against him, of course. And she admitted that for a while they ended up dating after Connie had died. This was before he was arrested. Um, And that they tried dating for their daughter and, you know, co-parenting, whatever. And then it did not work. And then they started co-parenting. And then, you know, you got arrested and bail and all that. Which I was like, girl, I get it because it's your baby. You want to get, you know, for the sake of your child. But girl, he so killed his wife. And you probably could tell the whole fucking time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I felt so bad for her. And she was talking in court. She said as soon as she found out she was pregnant, she told Richard, do not divorce her. Don't leave her. I can do this on my own. It was so early in her pregnancy. She still was like we don't have to even have this baby. Like, let's, you know, there's so many different things we could do. Like, this could all end right now. Like, it's fine. And he was like, no, no, let's have a baby, whatever. And then he came up with the whole bullshit. Like, Connie was, oh, she wanted another baby so bad. And in court, her whole family's like, she didn't want another baby. She was happy with her two boys. They were not planning on it. She did not know about this pregnancy. She did not know about Sarah, etc. So this poor woman, she was saying, like, I never told Richard to leave her. I'm going to have this baby on my own. I'll do whatever. Don't leave her. And then, of course, Richard was like, no, baby, I promise I'll take care of you. I'll leave her. I promise. And, you know, then the whole little my little love nugget shit. And then I guess we see it all the time with, like, family annihilators. Famous cases like Chris Watts is a good one. He had a side piece and he killed his whole family so he could start over with this other woman. No, it's not just be a man, admit you're cheating, and get the fuck out of there. Absolutely. Or kill yourself. But no, he had to say, oh, baby, baby, I'll take care of you, baby. I'm gonna leave my wife for you. It's okay, it's okay. I got you, I got you. And then he goes and he kills. No, 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 no. No. So this poor woman, I feel for Sarah. I do. Because she also was a part of this. And, well, yes... She was seeing him while he was married. That's not, you know, whatever. She did not have anything to do with... She didn't tell him, can you kill your wife for me? Would you mind? Right. No. Right. And being the other woman is not... It's not ethical, but it's not a crime. No. No. What is a crime is murdering your wife. Correct. Which she didn't murder her wife. She didn't murder anyone. She just had a baby and, again, was like, listen, man, we can pretend this baby doesn't exist. We can get rid of this baby. Like, it doesn't matter. And he was like, no, 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 no. So this poor woman. And then, of course, she had to raise it. And she tried raising it with him. And she, he was a piece of garbage, unsurprisingly. And then she later found out in court that he had cheated on her after Connie died with someone else. Yeah. 
So I don't know how this guy is getting so much, laying so much pipe, but he is. And if you look at his picture, you're like, this guy, after, somehow he has malice and nothing behind his eyes. It's so bizarre. He was an evil, he's an evil, evil man. So this testimony, combined with the Fitbit evidence, combined with the YMCA footage, the internet data, the timeline, you know, him sending an email to his boss, the all of this, it all came crumbling down. And it finally, after five years of waiting for a trial, in two years, on top of that, of waiting for even him getting convicted, Richard DeBate was finally found guilty of first-degree murder of his wife, as well as tampering with evidence and providing a false statement. He was sentenced to 65 years in prison without the chance of parole. Now, at the point of the trial, he was what? In his late, mid-late 40s? That fucker's never getting out of jail. Ever. Good. He's already filing for appeals, because this just happened, you know, a year ago in April. So he's already filing for appeals. Of course he is. He's gonna. He's not someone who cares about the sake of his fam- the family, you know, having to come and revisit this and relive all this pain. He doesn't care. He's gonna appeal that until he has no appeals left. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I hope every single time he's met with the same thing. No. Judge Corinne Klatt said that Richard was not the victim of a home invasion, but rather the perpetrator of cold-blooded crimes. She said that Connie's murder was, quote, brutal, calculated, and it was an incomprehensible act that was committed at the hands of a person who at one point vowed to love and protect her. Ugh. During the sentencing hearing for over two hours, Connie's family and friends took the stand, one by one, to tell the judge and the jury about their own life sentence of grief that they've had to endure since Connie's murder. Ten of her loved ones, and there were two hours worth of loved ones, described the years of anxiety, depression, panic attacks, stress, and sleepless nights that they've been enduring since Connie was killed. Connie's sister, Leslie Garabedian, asked Judge Klatt to sentence Richard to three life sentences, one for Connie and one for each of her children who have to spend the rest of their lives suffering without her. Yeah. Leslie took custody of the two boys and said that they're terrified of a stranger breaking in and murdering them like they were told what happened to their mom. Oh, that's terrible. After sentencing Richard to 65 years, Judge Klatt addressed Connie's family and stated, quote, I can't replace Connie in your lives. If I could order that, I would certainly do it. Aww. Wayne Rue, a spokesman for Connie's family, stated, quote, The trial was not about the Fitbit. The trial was about the cold-blooded planned murder of Connie Margotta debate. Absolutely. And that is a tragic, heartbreaking, absolutely brutal murder of Connie debate at the hands of her husband, Richard debate, and not Vin Diesel, the intruder. And this case really made history with the Fitbit being such a key part of the evidence. I mean, it was so rare to have a Fitbit be used in a court of law, let alone be... I mean, this case is called the Fitbit murder. Right. Right. Big deal. Yeah. And you guys, you know, we talked about how beautiful Connie is and, you know, salt of the earth. One of my biggest pet peeves is when the media uses photos of women who have been murdered, sexually Mm -hmm. assaulted escaped a domestic violence partnership 
they picture these beautiful women who are the victims with their abusive partners, yeah. their wedding photos. I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling for pictures to put on our Instagram, our website. Yeah. I was looking for pictures of Connie, Connie with her kids. Why was I scrolling through dozens of pictures of Connie with this man? Yeah. No, thank you. Sometimes it's all you can find too. And that's the shitty part. Yeah. But I was able to find some really beautiful photos of Connie. So they'll be on our Instagram and website. Great. And guys, we... Obviously, of course, you know already. We want to know what you think about this case. How obvious was it to you guys that it was Richard? Did you catch on early or did you did it take a minute? I'm sure you got on because it was so obvious like right from the beginning that he was guilty of sin. Because man, he was... The story was crap from beginning. Like, come on. Ugh. Like, I could come up with a better story than that on the fly. It was so bad. But we want to know what you think. So you can send us a DM on Instagram at truecrimeny. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email at truecrimeny at gmail.com. We also, of course, have a website, truecrimeny.com. You can go to our contact page, find our handy dandy submission tool, and let us know your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about this case, other cases we've covered. Suggest a case to us via any of the above ways Liz just said, or this one. And this one has a little perk because you can be anonymous. If you want a shout out, you can use any of the above methods and suggest a case to us based in New England, please. You could also go down a little further to our bias of coffee section, where you can click the button that says thank you and go to our bias of coffee page. If you're looking for another way to spend money, we talked a little bit about merch at the top of the episode. Just as a thought, around the holidays, you know, our merch would make a great Christmas present. Wink. And it would get there before Christmas, just saying. If you order now, it'll probably get there. We can't guarantee shipping, and it takes a while because each item is handcrafted individually for a more sustainable way. But it probably would get there before Christmas, just saying. Right. But you guys just being here, listening, supporting us for free 99 minus the 99, all we ask for... More than we could ever ask for. And we appreciate you guys so much. Absolutely. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.